It's the holiday season And Santa Claus is coming round The Christmas snow is white on the ground When old Santa gets into town He'll be coming down the chimney down Good morning, good morning, good morning, Cable Smith. Welcome, everybody, to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Happy holidays. A little Andy Williams for you. Merry Christmas to you and yours. I am, I tell you what, I am full on in the Christmas spirit. The wife and I fired up family vacation for the first time the other day. And usually, and I'm not kidding you, we fall asleep to that movie every night this time of year. And I can honestly say, I never get tired of it. So, anyway, that's my favorite Christmas movie of all time, followed closely by You'll Shoot Your Eye Out, a Christmas Story. Um, I don't know, what are y'all's? Probably uh, Miracle on 34th Street is in there. Elf is a great one. My sister thinks Die Hard is a Christmas movie, although I have a hard time uh, really grasping onto the fact that an action film is a, a holiday classic. It's just a damn good movie, right? Uh, but it's not a Christmas movie. No, Charlie Brown Christmas has got to be up there. That's an all-time classic. Uh, so many other good ones on TV this time of year. Hope that y'all are taking time to uh, to enjoy the season. It's such a rushed time of the year. It's so hectic. Shopping, family obligations, work Christmas parties, all that stuff going on right now, and it comes at you fast. So slow down, take a deep breath, and really soak it in. That's what I'm trying to do. That's my goal this holiday season. Um, anyway, we've got a great show lined up for you here today. And you know what you need to do. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old thermos. Maybe this time of year, you've swapped it out for some hot apple cider. Maybe you spiked it with some of Granddaddy's old cough syrup. I don't know. Whatever the case, pour yourself another cup. and Pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire because we're ready to rock and roll. Off the top, we'll be joined in studio by Matt Boguslowski. He is the manager of advocacy for Dallas Safari Club, a newly created position, one of, of significant importance. And Matt, is a, he's got a PH license in Tanzania. He's hunted all over the world. A very interesting background and now is coming to work on the front lines for Dallas Safari Club. So we'll talk some dangerous game hunting get into his background a little bit, and then we'll also dive into some of the international issues that are currently going on within the hunting community, specifically non-hunting American politicians trying to enforce policy on third world African countries regarding their wildlife management. I mean, the audacity of these people, most of them, these politicians who have no background in wildlife management, but the audacity of them to tell a third world country on another continent how to manage their wildlife, um, it has truly become now a humanitarian issue as there are hundreds of thousands of Africans who depend on hunting. And you think the poverty was bad when they still had a source of income? Now they have nothing. So now we have the wildlife losing and more importantly, humans are losing. So lots of stuff to get in with Matt on that front. Uh, then at the bottom of the hour, our old friend Larry McCoy from the Outdoor Group and Elite Archery will be here. They've got some new, and I mean absolutely groundbreaking technology for you, the bow hunter, that is going to make your life so much easier. It, uh, it truly is. The new Cure and the set technology, it truly is a game changer. And, and as far as making the process of tuning your bow more user-friendly for the hunter, uh, it's revolutionary. So we'll get into... 
the latest and greatest from Elite Archery. Plus, talk about some of Larry's hunts from this fall. I know he just shot a really nice buck up in Kansas uh, with the Cure, and uh, we'll get into that coming up here in just a little bit as well. That's what's on the docket for today. Also want to remind you that the Lone Star Outdoors show, 10 Days of Christmas, will be coming up here starting on, we're going to run it the 14th through Christmas Eve. So 14th through the 24th. Is that 11 days? Whatever. I guess we'll start it then on the 15th, right? That would be 15th through 24th. That'll be 10 days. And we'll give away a prize via my social media channels every day throughout uh, the 10 days of Christmas. So you want to check out my Instagram and Facebook for those promotions as well. Uh, let's do a quick giveaway today. I've got a Lone Star Beer camo dove seat slash cooler. It's right. It's a cooler you sit on. Uh, you don't have to be dove hunting, but uh, that's, I think, what it was initially designed for. Plus a Lone Star Beer camo cap and uh, a couple koozies. All you need to do is email the word Lone Star. That's Lone Star to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com, and you will be entered into this week's Lone Star Beer giveaway. Up next, I'm joined in studio by the new DSC Manager of Advocacy, Matt Boguslowski. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Here we know that Christmas will be green and bright. The sun will shine by day and all the stars Hey y'all, spring is here, and that means a lot of things, but specifically, your lawn is about to become your own worst nightmare. That's why I use JC's Landscaping. They do everything from lawn and landscape maintenance to fertilization and weed control. New premium sod installations. Hey, you need a French drain? I had to have them put in a French drain a couple years ago. They do that too. Landscaping updates, makeovers, stone borders, patios, and much more. Serving the North Dallas and surrounding areas, you can find them at jclandscapingllc.com and tell them cable sent you. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffair for Hoffair's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffair's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. What is it? It's a one-year membership in the Jelly of the Month Club. Okay. Clark, it's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. That it is, Edward. It's Christmas time again. It's time to be nice to the people you can't stand all year. I'm growing tired of all this Christmas. Tree. One of my favorites from Blink 182. It's Christmas time, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you. Thanks to our title sponsor, Dallas Safari Club. Certainly thankful for them this holiday season. Also, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris, our longtime presenting sponsors. Thanks to you guys and gals for being here today. Appreciate each and every one of you as we are about to talk some global conservation issues with Matt Boguslowski, the new DSC, that's Dallas Safari Club, manager of advocacy. And we will jump into that momentarily. But first, this segment brought to you by Vortex Optics and the Fury HD range-finding binocular. That's right. It's got a laser range-finder 
in built into the binocular. So if you're like me and you want to take less gear into the field, check it out. It combines your rangefinder and your optic into one. And I particularly uh, like it anytime I'm hunting with a firearm. So check it out. You can find the Fury along with Vortex's entire lineup of optics right there at vortexoptics.com. Well, without further ado, let's bring on our first guest today. Joining me now in studio is Matt Boguslowski, Manager of Advocacy for Dallas Safari Club. Thanks for being here, Matt. Well, thank you very much for having me. It is my pleasure. So first of all, congrats on the new position with Dallas Safari Club. And uh, we're going to visit on what exactly the Manager of Advocacy does. But first, let's discuss why you were chosen for the position. Your background is as varied as it is qualified. Uh, I find it especially intriguing that you hold a, a, a PH license in Tanzania. Yes, sir. So tell us a little bit about your upbringing and, and how that led you here today. No, definitely. Um, so I grew up in Chicago. Um, both sorry my, about that. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> both my parents, you know, immigrated from Poland. So I'm first generation here. I've got a, uh-huh. a younger sister and uh, she's in D.C. She works there. And, you know, just very conservative values and, sure. you know, hunting and, and guns and everything weren't available to, you know, my dad and mom growing up and hunting in Poland at the time was a very, you know, Soviet elitist thing that got mm-hmm. to be done. Um, you know, when my parents, when my dad came over in 79, he said, all of a sudden, okay, well, you can buy guns, go shooting, mm-hmm. you know, clay shoots, go hunting affordably, reasonably. Right. And, um, so he got into that and got into business and everything and started hunting a lot. And I came along, my sister came along and, you know, I grew up hunting and shooting. I did a lot of competition skeet shooting growing up. And then at uh, 16, he took me over for the first time in Africa. And I I mean, I just fell in love with it. And um, next year I came back, started my apprenticeship in South Africa. And um, when I was 19, I transitioned to Tanzania. I started my apprenticeship from scratch there. I was going to say, because Tanzania is not the place you really, you go and dip your toes in first. So that makes sense now you know, experience South Africa first. No, definitely. Um, and so I was very blessed that I got to hunt under some of the, the best Zimbabwean professional hunters. And that's the, the toughest program that you can go through is in mm-hmm. Zimbabwe, but, um, you can't get a foreigner can't get their license in Zimbabwe, but I got the, the overall gist of it through them, um, mm-hmm. and all the qualifications and whatnot. And you know, I was hunting there up, you know, not full time, but on and off because I was still going to school, but you know, quite a bit. Spent a lot of my year there, managing areas and running, you know, working with anti poaching teams, community development, building schools, clinics, all that kind of stuff. Um, managing the areas, all the budgets and the things that the clients don't get to see right. um, after they go to sleep. But uh, no, you know, it was great, tremendous. Uh, it gave me a lot of perspective and in, into what I'm doing now. And, um, you know, I still do one or two safaris, mainly with my dad or, if, you know, one of my old clients wants to go hunt, we'll go and do that. Um, I don't get a hunt as much as I like to anymore, obviously. Sure. Um, Life was, comes at you. you no, know. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, and after, you know, kind of segueing out of the professional hunting, I, I immediately started working with the conservation force, which is, um, you know, prime me very well for, for this um, new position. And mm-hmm. it's essentially... Uh, you know, segue out of that and building that capacity here in, in DSC and conservation force is kind of the legal arm of the internet, specifically international hunting community, um, founded by John Jackson. He's, he's tremendous. He's an icon in our industry and he's, what he's done for us is incredible and we can't give him enough thanks and DSC and the NDSC foundation continue to support him. And Mm -hmm. we work together on a lot of initiatives. Um, and then I had left uh, Conservation Force, and I opened my own practice uh, with a very good friend of mine. 
And, uh, yeah, we had offices in, in Dallas, San Antonio, El Paso, and mainly that was business and transactional work. Um, mm-hmm. He's a, one of the foremost international um, tax attorneys, so it was a blessing. And uh, so built that, and, you know, with the, the horizon in the international conservation and hunting community, it, the, the opportunity arose, and I saw a need to get back in and tackle this head on. And I, I never really left, you know, sure. um, I just, you never, once you're a hunter, you never, you never no, not that I ever left being a hunter, but yeah. in terms of, I was going to the CITES meetings and, uh-huh. and still okay. looking over paperwork with John and with DSC. Yeah. So even if, after I had left conservation force, it all just really continued. It just didn't get paid by them anymore. Right. <laughs> it was like figure your own stuff out. Right. Uh-huh. Um, no, but still very involved. And I was working with the international professional hunters association, representing them at CITES and just kind of leveraging partnerships, and, um, you know, just visiting with Corey, the executive director at DSC and, and Richard at, with the foundation. Mm-hmm. And we saw this as a, a necessary, um, route to go. Um, I also sit on the board of the, uh, DSC foundation and I'm the president elect of the DSC South Texas chapter. So I wear a lot of DSC hats, yeah. um, but it's the best organization out there. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's great. If you've been in the convention, you see the, the vibe, uh, you know, relative to other conventions that you may go to and heritage 2020, January yes, 9th through the 12th, nine to 12. Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. So I, I volunteer on the uh, exhibitor welcome committee. So. Well, thank you so much. And I think the, the Oh, it's a pleasure. Yeah. I love it. And I, you know what? It's, it's cool to get to do that, mm-hmm. but I've booked so many hunts just through the, yeah. the vendors in my section. That exactly. I of, That's know? how we get you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> volunteer. And then we, you know, uh-huh. the exhibitors get, you know, but you know, along the lines of the volunteers, DSC, the convention, everything that we do wouldn't be possible without, you know, we call the DSC 100, but right Mm -hmm. now it's like the DSC 450, really. Um, And it just, that convention doesn't happen without all the volunteers. And even, you know, visiting with the staff in the office and, you know, they look kind of to me and Corey and all this advocacy work, but it's just instilling in, in the volunteers and into the staff that what we're doing and accomplishing on the international conservation front doesn't happen without you, regardless mm-hmm. if you're answering the phone or you're writing our publications or you're managing our chapters or our membership, all this works in synergy together to meet our, you know, our mission. Mm-hmm. So, um, you, you talked about the chapter system. This is something that I was at that, that, uh, DSC meeting where we voted on that. Okay. And I think, you know, to infuse younger blood, let's just say, mm-hmm. into DSC, I think it was necessary. Uh, I think even the old guard realized that. And I, I mean, I don't know how many chapters we're up to now, but it's great to see. And, and social media, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, the expansion of DSC's page and influence and reach, um, I think the chapter system has a lot to do with that. Now, the chapters are tremendous in terms of, in, you know, terms of putting us at the local level. Mm-hmm. And we have an approach of more in a chapter system more regional you you know if you look at other organizations they'll kind of be focused almost city by city but we don't want to create competition among the chapters and we give them you know large tracts to Mm -hmm. to overlook and and bring that membership in and hopefully host more events um throughout and expand um so and then also on more focused on the the younger hunter side yeah and not youth hunter but kind of our age right um we have the conservation society within dsc and that's a young professionals group Mm -hmm. and we have an event that is going to start getting um promoted here soon tuesday before the convention so that i believe that's the seventh and that'll be kind of right around the corner at the omni and you guys will hear about it so definitely come out and all that money that that gets raised there and um 
and all the beer that you get a drink goes towards conservation. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like drinking beer for conservation. Yeah. Yeah, I really do. Um, so give us a, a job description of what you're going to be doing as manager of advocacy. Yeah, that list is longer than shorter. <laughs> um, so right now my immediate focus, because of all the nonsense that's going on on the international front, is overseeing, right, prioritizing the international affairs. Mm-hmm. Societies, IUCN. I'm angry uh, at CITES. Yeah, you should be. I've got a Bontabuck sitting in South Africa. It's been there for three years. I can't get it back. This is not an animal that's like endangered or even protected. I mean, there's a permit you have to fill out. Because back in the day, yeah, it was, I guess because of where it lived and its proximity to Cape Town, Mm -hmm. uh, they almost meat hunted it to extinction. Extinction, yeah. Well, then hunters brought it back and ranchers were like, wow, this Bonnebuck's a cool animal. We've got to make sure that it stays here. And yeah, they land, did that. No, exactly. Land reforms, privatization <laughs> of wildlife, and everything. Come, you know, South Africa is one of the bi- biggest mm-hmm. success stories out there. You know, similar system we employ here in Texas. Yeah, they mirrored what we did. Yeah, exactly. So, no, that is very frustrating. And, you know, societies, there's this gross um, influence by these non-state actors and these NGOs with, you know, they think that their opinions value more than the livelihoods of Africans living with the wildlife. And, you mm-hmm. know, what is essentially happening is the SADC countries, Southern African Development Community, which includes Tanzania, Namibia, Botswana, South Africa, Mozambique, Zambia, Zimbabwe, these countries that hold the overwhelming majority of wildlife. So if you calculate the elephant populations there, you're looking at 82% of Africa's elephant population lives there mm-hmm. in those countries, close to probably 85% of Africa's wild lion population. These are the countries that are getting punished the most by CITES. Yeah. yeah. And saying, okay, you can't trade in ivory, trying to, and also from Endangered Species Act to the US. And also, you know, the UK is asking for consultations and they're trying to ban the import and also the export of, of hunting trophies. Um, these are the countries that are getting hurt the most. Yeah. And it's not only violations of CITES and CITES overstepping their boundaries, but we're looking at borderline human rights violations and violations of international law precedent because they're not having proper consultations mm-hmm. with these range countries, um, and, nor the communities. Well, in this same vein, I read a quote of yours in the press release DSC sent out um, when they hired you, and it was, you said, representing the disenfranchised, the unheard voices, and the true keepers of wildlife. And that's exactly what you're no, referencing yeah. here. No, that, I mean, that's pure and true and simple. Yeah. Um, wildlife conservation doesn't happen by accident. You know, because if you look at the the U.S. did it once, right? We wiped out all the bison herds, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we were expanding. We were going west. Now, we didn't have the populations numbers we going with it. Wolf. Yeah. So yeah. don't look at the fact that there's human-wildlife conflict with, with lion. And after we had wiped out nearly all the mountain lion in Texas and jaguar and X, Y, and Z, so on and so forth, African countries are going through their development stage right now. We're looking, I don't know the exact statistic off the top of my head but it's something you know africa's population is set to double by i think 2050 2075 right 50 percent of that's going to happen in five or six countries and tanzania is one of them that holds 50 over close to 50 percent of the wild lion population lion are most at risk when it comes to human wildlife conflict because they'll attack the cattle and, and come after people and whatnot so they're most sensitive so these are we have to look at realistic strategies, multifaceted approaches. We never go in the photographic areas and say, we need to get rid of photographic areas, X, Y, and Z. You know, they can be huge re- revenue-generating areas in highly densely populated areas with wildlife and beautiful vistas and scenes and everything. But Africa doesn't look like the Serengeti. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of Africa is Mopani or um, Miombo woodland, scrubs, flat-out desert, where the populations aren't 
overrunning with wildlife, but if we can hunt them sustainably, so it will have absolutely no negative impact on populations, but then we can pump money and build water holes, work with the communities, make sure they're not poaching, do anti-poaching, um, build schools for people. Um, you know, Zimbabwe, for example, and, you know, with w the issues that we're having with importing elephant ivory into the U.S., essentially there's been a ban since, or a suspension since 2014, the Campfire Program in Zimbabwe is a community-based natural resource management program um, founded in, I believe, the kind of the late 80s. Mm -hmm. And that program, when you crunch the numbers, rely, relies, well, historically relied about 70 to 80% on income, meat, benefits derived from elephant hunting. The American hunters represented the overwhelming amount of that, um, that income and the, the hunters that right. were doing these hunts. And there's 800,000 families in Zimbabwe that are relying on that program. And you're looking at one of the poorest countries in the world. Mm. Now, these aren't minor issues. We're talking about borderline humanitarian crises that are going on here, apart from the conservation problems. Um, Fish and Wildlife Service made positive enhancement findings in 1997 when Zimbabwe had 67,000 elephant. And now we're at 83,000 elephant. Mm -hmm. So the population's increasing. Everything's going. And that's not saying the population's increasing. Elephant population increasing is necessarily good because we have carrying capacity. Right. Botswana is looking at the same thing. Yeah, they, we, and they outlawed the elephant hunt, what, 2000? 2014. And now it's going to come back. Now it's coming like, back. These farmers are getting their asses handed to them by... Uh, once you reach carrying capacity, elephants are going to get out of the good habitat and they're going to find marginal habitat, i.e. cropland, you know, agriculture. Oh, yeah, I know that. I mean, that's the first place they're going to go. Yeah. Um, if you've gone to, if you've been to Botswana and you went there 10 years ago, let's say you went to the Delta or you went to the Chobe Enclave or something like that, and you went there today, night and day. Mm. And if you're looking at um, habitat conservation and wildlife management, you have to look at the biodiversity of an area. So, yeah, you know, the race to the most elephant is a self-defeating race. Because um, if you look at it from a biodiversity standpoint is, okay, well, these elephants have now just wiped out all these riverine um, systems. Okay, so right. there go the bushbuck. Um, they're taking out large canopy trees. So there go the martial eagle um, and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, at one point it could possibly collapse. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. yeah. Well, so the United States, like we said, is the – uh, the example for the modern modern world when it comes to sustainable wildlife management. Mm -hmm. We corrected our wrongs, you know, early 1900s, and we've been riding this wave ever since. Yeah. Uh, but it's so ironic because we have the recipe, and when these African countries try to or want to emulate that, we have people in the United States that say, no, don't do that. We don't want you to do that. No, exactly. we already know what, it, what, what. No, it works. We and baked the cake. Yeah, it was. It, it's good. And no, they're like, no, don't do that. No, exactly. And I, you know, a lot of so much of it is that Western arrogance over um, those colonial periods. That 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 arrogance has never gone away. Mm -hmm. um, and Africa's biggest blessing and its curse is its natural resources. It's been pillaged for them for forever, and it continues to be. Um, and not saying, not in any way that hunters are are con contributing to that. And you know, as right. pillaging or whatever, but that these non-state actors and these other governments are going to say what you guys should and shouldn't do. And so much of that, when you look at the natural resources in the hunting and conservation context and how they're being blessed and cursed is they have the most beautiful iconic species. Mm -hmm. Your elephants, your lion, your leopard, and, and so on and so forth, giraffe, um, which is the most recent CITES cluster. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's absolutely maddening, but you know, yeah. a lot of 
Fox News and everybody else even, you know, they'll post a picture of a kid shooting that monster buck or whatever, but they're not going to show that with a, you know, a kid that went over to Africa and, you know, got an 80 pound elephant or, or whatever. But so there's just certain preconceived notions, morals, whatever you want to call it, ideas, concepts that have been instilled in people. And it's kind of your Disneyfication of, of America. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 We've talked about that in depth with Corey before. And, okay. Uh, and it, it comes up in, on this show quite a bit because yeah. it is a huge issue that our society is facing, um, humanizing wildlife. Um, Fish and Wildlife Service and the um, European Union Scientific Review Group have historically allowed the imports. Mm -hmm. And all this is just coming from these concepts of the ethics of trophy hunting. Trophy hunting is is a misnomer. It's a false notion. It's hunting, Mm -hmm. legal regulated hunting. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter if you're hunting ducks, if you're hunting elephant, deer. My mentality as a hunter doesn't change if I'm up with my old man hunting quail in southern Illinois or hunting elephant in Zimbabwe like it was two months ago. I just love being in the outdoors. Matt, Ivan Carter told me one time in one of our visits, uh, he said, Cable, you know, 30 years ago when I started out in this industry as a dangerous game guide, I'd be on an airplane and, and people would ask, hey, what do you do for a living? And, and I would tell them. And what was a badge of honor, something that was viewed as, you know, a respected occupation is now almost taboo from a societal standpoint. You know, people just are judgmental. And, and so he's very timid to bring it up in those situations uh, based off of people's preconceived misconceptions. We'll always tell somebody, and let's visit and let's talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and unless they're, you know, a fundraiser for the Humane Society or something, then, you know, maybe I've got a shot. But in my experience, if I can sit and visit with somebody, I'm, I'm not going to say that they're going to come with me on my next hunt. Right. But when the next time they hear this next outrage or whatever, they're going to have a more informed opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a lot of, you know, from manager of adequacy that, these are the conversations that I'm having. I went to my high school maybe three years ago, a biology professor that I had. He said, why don't you come in and visit with the students for 30 minutes? Mm-hmm. So I started off, I pulled the class, and he brought in several classes. So I maybe had 100 kids in in, in auditorium, and I pulled them, and I said, who here is opposed to trophy hunting Cecil? And I brought up all these ideas and everything, every hand. I spoke for 20 minutes, did the same pull at the end of it. They're like, oh, we, this, I get it, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. So you can get people there. Um, I always find that personal one-on-one visit is is best. You know, you can't do that with however many people are here in the U.S. and the U.K. and elsewhere. But that's why you see our messaging campaign being so strong and and effective. I mean, we're looking at hundreds of thousands of interactions on our videos and just spreading that as far and wide as we can because it's critical. Um, you know, the UN IBIS report recently came out and, you know, we're in the midst of our, our sixth largest wildlife extinction. Um, and when they can you know, when they're calculating the numbers of wildlife at 2050 and 2000, they're not calculating them with hunting at, as existing anymore. And mm-hmm. that can't, that's why this position is so critical to make sure that hunting is around forever because yeah. we're not, I'm not losing this. Yeah. Um, let's do this. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back. I, I want to hear about some of your hunting adventures and yeah. then uh, we'll dive back into some of this importation stuff as well. Perfect. All right. And that segment was brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Uh, when you put your tag on that big buck this season, you know what to do. Celebrate responsibly with an ice cold Lone Star Beer. Lone Star Beer, 
the national beer of Texas. We'll be right back with more from Dallas Safari Club's Matt Boguslowski. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Live Oak Outdoors offers some of the best waterfowl hunting in the Central Flyway. Hunting over 2,000 acres of cut rice along the coast that attracts wintering geese by the tens of thousands. Hunts take place out of layout blinds or white parkas over a spread of 1,500 decoys. It's also common to shoot pintail and other puddle ducks in the goose spread. Professional guides make sure you have a safe and memorable hunt of a lifetime. They're based out of El Campo, Texas. Check them out at liveoakoutdoors.com or you can book your hunt by calling Chris Slimp at 832-466-9646. Sing like this. Take the horse with bows of holly. Fa la 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 la. Try again. Cable <laughs> Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoors Show. A little Christmas story for you there. Uh, thanks to Dallas Safari Club, our title sponsor. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players as well. Thanks to you for being here as we are visiting with DSC Manager of Advocacy, Matt Boguslowski, concerning uh, Africa and what lies ahead as we as an outdoor community uh, stand side by side with these African nations as advocates for them to be allowed to manage their own wildlife. I mean, the irony is astounding. What? Countries not being allowed to manage their own wildlife, us telling them, not us as hunters, but uh, U.S. policymakers, telling them how they can and can't manage their wildlife resources. It's a, it's really astonishing, and it's very sad. It has now become quite the humanitarian issue in addition to conservation issues. Uh, so we'll pick it back up with Matt momentarily. This segment brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. Check out the Big Chingone. You've heard me talk about it. My kids absolutely love it. Why? Because five- and seven-year-olds don't want to be cold. Yes, they want to go hunting with their dad. No, they don't want to sit outside in 20-degree weather with the wind slapping them on the face. That's miserable for a kid, right? Uh, So, check out the Big Chingone. Put the whole family in there. I do, and uh, we have a hell of a good time. Even managed to shoot a deer despite the racket that those kids make. It's the Big Chingone. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. Okay, uh, well, let's get back into it here with Matt Boguslowski. We certainly appreciate you sticking around through the break, Matt. Of course, thank you. Let's switch to a little more lighthearted stuff here just mm-hmm. for a minute. And and like you said, you started hunting Africa when you were 16. Yes, sir. I've uh, been a PH for, in Tanzania for some time. Um, what species do you enjoy hunting the most? Elephant Africa? and buffalo. Okay. Elephant and buffalo. Those are hard hunts. I'm not saying that cat hunts aren't hard, but I've just always enjoyed tracking and walking and working right then and there with your with your trackers and I mean well 
me with the Zim PHS, you were taught to track, to, to hunt without a tracker, you know, so you can be completely self-reliant and everything. But it was just a, a great relationship that you built with your tracker. Um, but that's so wait, where, wait, so were you, it was in Zimbabwe or Tanzania? In Tanzania. But when you learn under the Zimbabwe method, you learn to be self-reliant on okay. yourself. You can hang your baits. You can uh-huh. cook your steaks, make the drinks. So top it was like yeah. the training on steroids. Yeah. 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 Okay. It was so... Essentially, yeah, but no, I mean, <laughs> elephant and buffalo hunting is picking up tracks early in the morning and just walking uh-huh. and, you know, coming up to them, not seeing what you like and turning around and walking back um, and doing that over and over and over. You might get lucky, you know, at one point someone's going to make a mistake or you walk on that track and it's the right one or one would just walks in front of you as you're tracking I mean, a whole bunch of different things can happen. But that elephant and buffalo hunting is just walking hot, tetsy flies, all that fun stuff. Um and, you know, cat hunting is a cat and mouse game. There's, there's a hundred percent art to it. I just hate sitting. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> right. So I, I, I've done a lot of, uh, of cat hunting with hounds. Okay. And, uh, and that's not sitting. <laughs> no, that's not sitting. I've never hunted with hounds. It was illegal in Tanzania. Yeah, exactly. No, um, no, I've only done the caracal in, okay. in Africa, but here okay. in the States, you know, uh, bobcat and mountain lion. For sure. Uh, which I thoroughly enjoy. No, I've never done any of those. I've never, you know, hunted with dogs proper on a cat. Uh-huh. Um, but I know it's a rush. Um, and a lot of times it's just from the, you know, the leopard side, it ends with a charge. So it can be pretty exciting. And, you know, you're following a big cat when you, you know, you yeah. see those tracks. But, uh, but if you're hanging baits, then you're doing a lot of sitting, which is what you said you'd no, rather be. No, exactly. Yeah. And that's why, but you can, it gets fun. Don't get me wrong. If you get a switched on cat and then you start messing with the bait, um, there's a whole bunch of games that you can start playing to make them come in later. Or, or come in sooner, uh-huh. um, pretty much. Because in Tanzania, you can only hunt. You can use artificial light. Yeah. Uh, so all the all the cats that you took had to be under under daylight conditions. So uh-huh. that gets tricky. Okay. Um, always pretty successful. So. So on the buffalo side of things, what advice would you give someone uh, who is heading on their first buffalo hunt uh, this summer? Okay. Be, I will actually be uh, chasing Cape buffalo on the South Africa's eastern Cape. Awesome. Well, buffalo are just like any other animal until they're wounded Mm -hmm. and there's been a lot of sensationalization and whatever and all these videos that you'll see about them charging like yeah it can happen but that's a big target Um, from a gun caliber side shoot the biggest caliber that you can shoot accurately and don't show up having just practice on the bench on on your lead sled you Mm -hmm. know you've got to run some drills shoot freehand shoot off the sticks shoot reload you know shoot reload do 20 jumping jacks, get back on the stick, shoot, just run a whole bunch of drills, um, and, and be ready and not just sit on the bench. And that, that's a big problem that I, I mean, I've had clients show up with the rifle without the scope on it in like in the plastic. So I'm like, okay, this is going to be fun. Oh yeah. My uh, PH just told me. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole bunch of, there's a plan. Hey, cite of, this in for me. What? Yeah. You've never shot this? Exactly. Wow. Are you kidding me? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, practice makes, you know, better. Uh-huh. Be ready. Um, don't, you know, you have to respect the animal. Get ready for, you know, hopefully a lot of walking. Um, be fit. You know, if it ever comes to a situation where the animal's wounded, you got to put your ego to, a, to your side and listen to the professional hunter because he might want you, listen, this is hairy stuff here. Um, stay on the truck and, and I'm going in or he'll call another PH to come in with yeah. him. Um, and I understand the concept of wanting to finish what you start, but the, if, I've, you know, his, I don't want to, your work. safety is his foremost. Concern. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. the number one priority. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I have I've been on a Buffalo hunt and my buddy shot one. Okay. 
and you know you spend four five six days in camp a week two weeks whatever and, mm-hmm. and your hunting planes came and everyone's high five and slapping each other on the butts hey this was a great day you know and did you see the size of that uh, impala that that johnny got or whatever yeah. and then someone says all right we're going on a buffalo hunt and the demeanor totally changes the safe is open and the two pipes come out yeah 416 or yep. whatever you know the big guns come out and and it gets real somber very quickly no it, it, you know it's time to start hunting hard you know in tanzania and in so how the licensing system works is on any hunt that i was ever doing we all, well even if it was a 10 day 10 day hunt i always had two buffalo on license mm-hmm. um so that mentality was is always on for us and you know really pretty much anywhere out of south africa and Namibia, you're going to be hunting some dangerous game. Mm-hmm. So you always got to be um, be switched on and, and be ready. Um, but no, the demeanor does change when you, you – know, I can wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to focus on lesser kudu and fringed orcs today. But I don't know when I turn that corner that, you know, 42-inch hard boss beautiful bull with the drops is going to be around the corner, and then it's game on. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to that. There's no doubt about it. Historically speaking, and, and this will – I'll use in a, in a future piece I'm going to be working on. But who would you say, like, what individual has done more for African conservation than anyone else? And it might be two or three, but... As an individual? Yeah, as a, not an organization, just individually. In modern times? Uh-huh. This, let's just say, you know, 1900s and... 1900s and... Four, I mean, obviously, you have your Aldo Leopold, mm-hmm. your th- uh, Teddy Roosevelt... On the African side, there's so many guys that never got the recognition that the... the but you're probably more versed in them than me, so... Mm-hmm. Um, you had Jay Hunter, who I think played a significant role. He started off as a commercial ivory hunter and um, and black rhino hunter. He cleared the way for the railroads. Um, not similar to not dissimilar to a lot of the you know the bison guys that we had on this side, but at a point he realized that what's happening here is unsustainable, uh-huh. and he became the first game warden of Kenya, and I think oh, he wow. played a, a significant role there. You've got a lot of names like um, I just actually um, his uh, son was in in, DS, in Dallas meeting with us not too long ago, but Graham Child, um, his son is Brian Child. He recently passed away. Um, Graham did, but he set up was um, in, instrumental in setting up. Um, Zimbabwe's campfire program Mm -hmm. you know from a a U.S. perspective in more modern times let's say the last 25-30 years um, the gentleman who I used to work for John Jackson is absolutely irreplaceable for what he's done um, for hunting and international wildlife conservation because they're not two separate conversations hunting and and conservation right hunting is conservation the single greatest conservation tool that we have at our disposal yeah so all the effort that he's done has Everything would have been gone 20 years ago if it wasn't for him. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I think John is 74 now. Mm. and But he's got the attitude, you know, of a, of a, you know, a jailhouse pit bull. I mean, he's ready, <laughs> and he's ready to fight at all times. And he's I don't know where he gets the energy from, but, yeah, it's incredible. I, I think people sometimes, they try to separate um, different types of hunting. Like, so, big game hunting is conservation. Duck hunting is conservation, mm. you know? I mean, whether you're conserving wetlands through, um, like, the NACA reauthorization we just had on a, mm. a DU um, representative to, on this week's show, and it's all the same, you know? Um, no, it is. Whether it's a duck or a, an elephant, you know, hunters are the ones footing the bill, 
We do it gladly. We don't ask for anyone to pat us on the back and tell us what a great job we're doing. We just want to put our head down, go about our business, and just keep grinding. No, exactly. And, you know, always if we see if there are issues that arise or, you know, if the science scientists come back with us saying, listen, we need to look at one of the big things was lying and mm-hmm. aging line and putting in um, aging restrictions on line because we saw three subpopulations that had some um, declines, because not because of how many were being taken, but, you know, if you take one a line that's too young but might have a beautiful mane because of genetics in different areas, you start possibly leading to infanticide um, once that pride male is removed and another one comes in mm-hmm. and they'll wipe out all the other cubs. So very three minor, instant, you know, kind of there might be some trends here. So we came in and brought in all the scientists, gave us your recommendations on age and all the indicators, posted workshops, and, you know, we identify and we adapt. But that's handled internally. And I don't need the outrage of the world telling us what to do. Right. Because um, we were here first and we're leaving last. And we're, you know, look at Africa, we're talking about 600,000 square kilometers of habitat set aside for um, hunting. Mm-hmm. This is buffering national parks, maintaining large landscapes for wildlife. Elephant needs space to move. Lion needs space to move. But if he moves into um, a livestock area, whatever, well, he's going to get speared. He's going to be gone. So maintaining areas for um, wildlife. And But it, let's say you can have a mixed-use area where you have humans living and, and the hunting is going on. Well, the hunting operator is there, and he's providing incentives to the communities. So if that um, lion chows a cow, make sure he doesn't poison them. Mm-hmm. Replace. I mean, that's what we did. You, right. you, if you lost your cow, I'd pay you 200 bucks. Mm-hmm. There you go. But go buy a new cow. Just do not poison them. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's why I've always said, like, you can't. You can try to put yourself in their in their shoes, but you're not them. You're not in a third world country, and you're not depending on your last five goats or two cows or whatever. Oh, there's no concept. And no, yeah. a Complete lion coming kills whatever percentage of that. It's a huge loss for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 it's just like uh, ranchers in Wyoming. There's certain uh, no kill zones for wolves. I'm not ever going to advocate violating a game law. I would never do it, but I understand why they do. Yeah, there and then those. Those no kill zones. The state's not reimbursing them. They're just like, oh, tough luck, you know. Deal Sorry, you lost forty ca- uh, calves this winter mm-hmm. to wolf depredation. Tough luck. Yeah, and the funny thing is, like African wildlife management authorities have funds in place to compensate community members when they do lose a cow or mm-hmm. whatever it happens to mm-hmm. be. So that method is in place in, in a third world country. So <laughs> maybe Wyoming needs to look in the mirror. Yeah, I think that's a good stopping point. We'll take a quick break, come back and get Matt's thoughts on legalizing the sale of rhino horn and elephant ivory. And that segment, by the way, brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'd like to invite you to get plugged in with this great group of conservationists who are passionate about hunters' rights hunter advocacy, and conservation. To do so, check us out at biggame.org. We'll be right back with more from DSC's Matt Bogoslowski. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hey guys, Cable here, and uh, I want to tell you about outdoor access. See, access is the one thing I hear hunters complaining about the most. They don't have a place to hunt, but they want to, right? Well, outdoor access is the solution to that problem. Think Uber, but for hunters. It's a membership-based program. It's only $9 a month, 
but it gives you access to a list of properties for uh, hunting whatever you want. You want to hunt deer one weekend? Great. You want to hunt ducks on another property the next? Fine. Turkey on another? You have dozens to choose from. And it's a lot less expensive than paying for a traditional 52-week lease. So if you're interested in basically what I call Uber for the outdoorsman, use the activation code Lone Star at checkout. Just go to OutdoorAccess.com. That's OutdoorAccess.com. And use my promo code Lone Star for 30% off your membership. That's OutdoorAccess.com. Hey, guys. Cable here. And uh, I want to tell you about Outdoor Access. See, access is the one thing I hear hunters complaining about the most. They don't have a place to hunt, but they want to, right? Well, Outdoor Access is the solution to that problem. Think Uber, but for hunters. It's a membership-based program. It's only $9 a month, but it gives you access to a list of properties for uh, hunting whatever you want. You want to hunt deer one weekend? Great. You want to hunt ducks on another property the next? Fine. Turkey on another? You have dozens to choose from. And it's a lot less expensive than paying for a traditional 52-week lease. So if you're interested in basically what I call Uber for the outdoorsman, use the activation code Lone Star at checkout. Just go to OutdoorAccess.com. That's OutdoorAccess.com. And use my promo code Lone Star for 30% off your membership. That's OutdoorAccess.com. Christmas in Texas, it'll be about 103. Christmas in Texas, watching the snow falling on TV. Christmas in Texas, I better grab another bag of ice. Christmas in Texas, cause warm Lone Star beer ain't nice. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Uh, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. Thanks to you for being here this holiday season. It is great to be talking outdoors with you. And uh, we're hitting on some conservation issues pertaining to Africa and U.S. policymakers' influence on the Dark Continent's wildlife resources. We're doing so with DSC's Manager of Advocacy, Matt Boguslawski, and we'll pick back up with Matt momentarily. But first, this segment brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. Uh, whether it's a farmer in Africa or whether it's a deer hunter in Texas, Land is the one thing we all want, but they're not making any more of it, right? So uh, if you're ready to make that dream a reality and take that plunge, whether you're looking for hunting properties, uh, fishing, ranching, or you just want a place to get the hell out of the big city, Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers for over 100 years. They'll do the same for you. You can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. Let's jump back into it here with Matt Boguslawski of Dallas Safari Club. Matt, one thing I, w- I did want to ask you is what are your thoughts on legalizing the sale and trade of, of rhino horn and elephant ivory? Rhino horn and ivory. So that's a very obviously contentious issue You know that arose in 1989. I think that was at the Fort Lauderdale meeting. If you're going to do it, it needs to be handled top to bottom. Mm-hmm. We had two one-off sales of ivory since you know the, the, the commercial trade in ivory and rhino horn was closed. Those one-off sales, I don't think they, they do not facilitate poaching. They do not incentivize it. But if you're going to do it, you need to do it top to bottom. And you need to put in all the systems and measures and put in a full-on industry um, to run this like it used to be done. 
but these one-off sales don't don't meet those needs. Mm-hmm. Um, you're depriving these. Ma- so historically, African wildlife management authorities were completely funded by the ivory, by ivory sales and rhino horn or horn sales. Um, today, we rely on national park fees, that kind of stuff, hunting, um, and I mean that's what it is. I mean, mm-hmm. if you but like I said, if you're going to do it. And it needs to be done, but it can't be shot from the hip. There are weak areas that can um, possibly facilitate illegal trade and and mixing the ivory and everything. Um, I visited with some of the experts and, um, you know, we can do pretty much put pretty much put like an individual DNA um, fingerprint essentially on every piece of ivory, every piece of rhino horn, so we know what's going and the end result mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah, um, yeah, but it's about demand reduction, yeah. you know. From a legal to- sa- standpoint and trying to take care of it is demand reduction. Don't mm-hmm. look at the poor African because he's got to feed his family. You know, it's the quintessential, you know, would you see a loaf of bread to feed your family? Well, I got a lot of elephants walking around here, and I know some guy's going to give me 200 bucks if I go and smoke this thing. Mm-hmm. And by the way, you closed my country to hunting, and I used to be a tracker in Botswana. So guess what's going to happen? And why Botswana all of a sudden has an uptick in poaching mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. ever since the, the um, elephant ban came into place. And even in a, in a more developed country like South Africa, because that's like, you know, obviously, in South Africa, it doesn't compare to some of the, the darker, mysterious, mm-hmm. more mysterious places that you've hunted, you know? Um, but when I, I did a, a rhino vita dart this last summer, yeah, and the owner, so my pH, you know, we went to another property that had um, sustainable rhino mm-hmm. herd, and the owner of that that property, I think it was, I mean, it was tens of thousands of acres. But I filmed another species there, just in driving around. Mm-hmm. He's like, please don't put that on social media because I don't want people to know I have. Yeah. If they know I have that. There's not a lot of places that have what you just. You yeah, know, videoed and they'll they'll come and they won't they might not want to kill that but they'll come kill my rhinos. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, specifically asked me not to do that, and that's just you know he's funding anti poaching twenty four seven right there on his place, and it's um, I'm just like if we just legalize it, maybe that stuff would be alleviated. And 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 going back and looking at all these historically these ivory burns that we've done, you know, it's just. Yeah. What a well, that's just the nonsense coming out of Kenya, oh. and you know, look at their numbers and their population trends and everything. But then there's the the infamous NGO row in Nairobi, which is your IFAL office, your Born Free office, your Humane Society office, your WCS office, mm-hmm. all right next to the ministry. So you wouldn't be surprised there. And ironically, um, Kenyan Wildlife Services and the WWF are being investigated for um, um, human rights violations for. The anti-poaching teams just executing people and rape and all sorts of stuff. Not oh, only yeah. in Kenya, but in the Congo and all sorts. Mm. So their their hands aren't clean. Yeah. Um. As far as import and export bans, what what are they really preventing, if anything? They facilitate the undermining of conservation, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. Um. They prevent i mean yeah that was the, the <laughs> yeah i mean that was a deeper answer to you know than the surface question there. yeah and that, it's unbelievable that people in dc just sit up there on their uh, soapboxes and and try to decide the fate they're de- they're deciding the fate of, of species species is what they're people. doing yeah species and, and people. people i mean yeah yeah more importantly people, people. Right? yeah no 100 um, percent. like i said it's not a coincidence that those countries that hunt in southern africa and, and kenya and i mean not kenya southern africa tanzania uganda why they hold 82 percent of africa's line uh elephant population mm-hmm. that is not a 
an accident by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, yeah. And even here, like on our on our continent, um, polar bear hunting, mm. the, the Inuits are still killing the polar bears or they're having hunters come in from another country where they can import them. The polar bears are still dying. Mm. It, you know, they depend on it. They depend on the meat. They depend on the income from those hunts. Yes, sir. You think they're just all of a sudden just like, oh, well, Americans can't come. We're just not going to do it anymore? No, no. You're going to find other markets. The the thing, you know, that polar bear issue is very nuanced um, and, and isolated. But when you're talking about conserving that much landscape mm-hmm. um, in Africa, you need a serious economic justifier to do it. Because um, here's the thing a lot of people don't realize is Africa's – their natural resources are tremendous. And mm-hmm. all these areas – have dig a little bit you'll find copper dig a little bit you'll find diamonds dig a little bit you'll find gold we don't you know not we these for the governments to justify setting aside this much land for conservation for the benefit of the rest of the world i need a very good reason to do it Mm. instead of exploring it and maximizing it for the benefit of my country Mm. i mean these aren't simple we've actually never hit on that on the show so that's very interesting Africa is the most, you know, natural, naturally resource rich. What um, we see is on as as hunters and conservationists, what we see is on the surface to the wildlife. You know, we don't generally think about what you've yeah. just brought up. Oil reserves, all sorts of stuff. Uh-huh. I mean, it's all there. Yeah, they that's a lot give, of money. They're sitting give them on. a reason um, to do it. When you undermine, I guess it's going to happen. You know, one day you're going to frustrate them enough. And you say, you know what, the hell with you. Yeah. Wipe them. Call yeah. call all the elephant. Sell all the hide. Give the meat to the communities. Whatever, burn the ivory, and get the drills ready. It's, it's, sell I mean, the that, yeah, sell the it's mining. It's disturbing opera- to even hear that. Yeah, sell the mining operations to the Chinese. Go. Let's make some real, real money now. Yeah, I'm, it's. I'm almost surprised that some of that hasn't already happened. Oh, I mean, you see areas guys. here yeah. or there. Um, you know, Tanzania is, is an example. Is uh, the northern part of the Salu. Um, they're building, I think, Africa's third or fourth largest hydroelectric dam. Hmm. I need to provide for my people. Can't blame them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as we're wrapping things up here, Matt, what is your what is your next, uh, let's just say, responsibility as far as wh- where are you headed to? What are you doing? Um, so right now, um, I mentioned that the UK is accepting consultations on um, their kind of decision-making or lack thereof yeah, considerations lack thereof. <laughs> to uh, ban the import or export of hunting trophies into the country. Um, so I'm drafting all, tr- all trophies, right? Pretty essentially all yeah. trophies. What it'll come down to there, there, they have four different options that they're thinking about. Maybe uh-huh. stricter domestic measures, similar to the Endangered Species Act, X, Y, and Z. Um, ours is the response is essentially go kick rocks, and this is why. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big priority of mine. And then, you know, just always maintaining relationships with the different ministries and departments over there. See, I mean, however we can provide capacity and whatnot. A lot of data collection right now, writing various reports. And then we've got uh, CITES Animals Committee coming up. We've got the IUCN meeting, um, the CO, their annual meeting, or their every three-year meeting, which is a big one. Um, and then I'm going to be making an Africa trip for about two months and going face-to-face visiting with a lot of the high, high-end officials. And how can we help? Boots on we, the ground. Boots on the ground, yeah. exactly. Go yeah. and visit with a lot of our um, DSC Foundation projects. I mean, we're funding, I don't know how many hundred game scouts and, and anti-poaching operations there and scientific research on leopard, elephant, whatever have you. Just maintain contacts and build capacity, provide support and support conservation. Mm-hmm. Well, I certainly appreciate it. 
you know, when I read about this new position, I was like, man, this is this is awesome, much needed. Mm -hmm. Thank uh, you very much. I appreciate yeah. that. But the thing that I love about DSC more than anything else, the convention is great. It truly is. I've met lifelong friends there, but DSC is not apologetic. They are spreading the truth more so than any other conservation organization that exists. And that's why I encourage everyone to, uh, you know, just go to the website, biggame.org. Whether you become a member or not, that's up to you. But I encourage everyone to, to check it out because it is a, uh, I mean, without DSC, I just, I, I, the, the future of specifically African wildlife is, is bleak. Yes, sir. No, I 100% agree. You know, we're not, a poly we'll do what needs to get done, but we're not always there touting ourselves. And there's a tremendous amount of what we do that nobody ever hears about. We yeah. just do the right things for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. And just, we're results oriented. Yeah. yeah. And we don't need our logo next to it at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, awesome, Matt. We certainly appreciate it. And wish you uh, safe travels on your on your trip to Africa coming up here. So thanks Thank again. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. All right. Dallas Safari Club, manager of advocacy, Matt Bogoslowski. Awesome stuff there. Really enjoy that conversation. Uh, that segment proudly brought to you by Pulsar, night vision and thermal imaging technology. If you haven't seen the new Pulsar Axion thermal monocular, it's what I use heading into and out of all of my stands, especially when it comes to bow hunting. There's nothing worse than hearing that doe snort wheeze at you. The gig is up. All the deer in the area know that you're there. Now, that doesn't happen when you sneak in under the cover of darkness while using the Axion Thermal. Despite its diminutive size, it's got all the features that you've come to know and expect from Pulsar, including uh, internal recording. So check it out. It's the Pulsar Axion. You can find it at PulsarNV.com and use that promo code LONESTAR. That's LONESTAR when you check out and you'll save 20% off your order. Coming up next, we'll visit with Elite Archery's Larry McCoy. If I told you that bow hunting just got that much more user-friendly, you'd probably want to know how. And we'll discuss next on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. It's a marshmallow world in the winter When the snow comes to cover the ground It's the time for play It's a whipped cream day I wait for it the whole year round in the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Are you tired of waking up at 2 a.m. to fight public land skybusters? Cable here for Three Crow Outfitters and their new North Texas Duck Club, which consists of over 3,000 acres and 40 water bodies throughout Ellis and Navarro counties. Three Crow does the planting, provides metal blinds, decoys, and posts a weekly scouting report. All you and your buddies do is reserve the property you want and show up to hunt. This opportunity is limited to 10 four-person memberships, so for the waterfowling experience of your lifetime, go to threecurl.com or call 214-641-8097 today. And I had taken a fine point marker and given him a small tattoo. 
The word mom in a heart on a shoulder, like a real G.I. might do. And I remembered that Christmas morning, mom smiling warm and nice, knowing she got what I wanted, and knowing she only paid half price. That's Ancy McLean, Mary Lou's Christmas list. Yeah, I know this little box of memories. Outdoor show, Merry Christmas to you and yours. I'm Cable Smith. Most of it. Thanks for being here today. As we've got some groundbreaking archery technology to get into momentarily. But before we jump into that conversation with our old buddy Larry McCoy of Elite Archery, this segment is proudly brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy in Marion and San Antonio, Texas. That's right. They've got two locations. My friends Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of all of my taxidermy for damn near a decade now. They do amazing work. So you don't have to worry about the quality. It's always on point. They offer fast turnaround time, and they answer the phone when you call. Imagine that, a taxidermist that doesn't dodge your phone calls. Check them out. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. That's gr8mounts.com. Well, like I said, there is some, I'm going to call it groundbreaking, revolutionary. uh, It's like nothing I've ever seen. And it's brand new technology from Elite Archery. And here to tell us all about it is our old friend and host of Elite Archery's Respect the Game, Larry McCoy. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. Super excited. My pleasure. So I've been following along on your Instagram. It looks like uh, you've been all over the map this fall. Yeah, we've, uh, yeah, I've been traveling. you know, we were actually talking before we started recovering about the, the season, how it's progressed, and it's been relatively challenging. We had a good early season, and then kind of went through a little lull for me. I mean, saw a lot of deer, but uh-huh. uh, just seemed like the deer that we were targeting, you know, there was just a lot of nocturnal movement. But, uh, you know, but we, we had some success. You know, we put in some long long days and, and uh, put in the time, and and, uh, and and some hunts we had were successful and some of them weren't, but that's, that's bow hunting, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully some of that luck will rub off on me because I'm like uh, my the, like. There's this song by my friend Zane Williams called "High Hopes, Low Expectations." That's kind of how my season's going so far. So, uh, you know, there's still a little time left, but the clock is ticking, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's uh, it has been kind of a weird year, like I said, and and it seems it's like you know just like you're saying, it's seen everybody I've talked to in our industry and out of our industry, it's been it's been pretty challenging, but, uh, Hey, you know, every year is a little bit different. You know, we can, uh, hope for the best, mm-hmm. and, uh, you don't keep, you know, and look forward to, to ending the season on a positive note and, and then getting things ready for next year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's just weird because I mean, you've been hunting, I know you spent a lot of time in Kansas, you've been in hunting in other States as well. And from Kansas to Texas, what other States have you hunted in so far this season? Uh, Nebraska and Montana. Uh-huh. And but you're saying, I mean, yeah. everyone's saying the same thing. It's like the peak of the rut just seemed to like not happen. It was like a little here, a little there, just trickle, trickle, and uh, it, it's just been weird. Yeah, and you know the rut as far as you know, visually seeing a lot of rutting activity. I just, me personally, I just did not see it like I normally do. Uh, from a rutting point of view, I did see some deer, but. Not like I said, not a lot, a lot of the target bucks that I was after or, or mature deer yeah. to say, but the, uh, you know, it was one of those odd years for sure. And, and the trail cam photos that I'm getting now, 
I mean, I'm having a lot of those deer showing back up. So they were doing it somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the deer run down, they look like they've had a, uh, you know, they've been doing it somewhere. Let's just put it that way. I've got deer that look like they've lost 50, 60, 70 pounds. I mean, they don't even look like the same deer. Mm. But, uh, mm -hmm. so, uh, but, you know, like I said, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. And, uh, you know, put your time in and hope for the best. And, and, uh, if, if you're sitting on the couch, you ain't going to kill them. So no. <laughs> get out there and, and get after it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That is the truth. But it sure does make those all day sits just, it's like, you want you can't force it to happen. That's the thing. It's not up to you. So, right. You can exactly. wish for it all you want, and you can crap in your hand and see which one actually happens first. But yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm beating my head against the wall at this point. But yeah, uh, it is frustrating. Exactly. But <laughs> enough woe is me. No one wants to hear about that crap. But uh, it is just interesting that the rut just kind of. I don't know what happened with the peak of it, but I never saw it. Um, that being said. What what has been your favorite hunt of this season? I know you shot a nice uh, one hit, like 150 inch eight point up in the, in uh, Kansas. Yeah, that, which that was an awesome hunt uh, uh, as well. That was actually it was we had uh, some snow hit hit and uh, we actually we got lucky that I knew the deer was in the area. We I made the mistake probably of, of passing the deer the first day. I just didn't get a good judge on him. He came through the lane uh, relatively quick and mm -hmm. you know. And uh, Larry, that's the first rule. Shot. Don't pass something yeah. on the first day that you shoot on the last day. <laughs> I, I know I broke that cardinal rule, but it would have been a quick shot. And uh -huh. I'm saying I say I passed him, but uh, but I probably could have got an opportunity at him. But it was just you know one of those things. So the fourth day of the hunt, I ended up uh, seeing the same deer again, and and things worked out my way, and was able to you know to place a good arrow and and watch him fall over. So. Uh, so, but we saw a lot of deer in between there. Just like I said, you know, just not a lot, a ton of shooters, and, mm -hmm. and uh, but a lot, you know, a lot of deer on on their on their feet. But, uh, yeah, ended up working out though. But my the... favorite hunt's probably one my Nebraska, the mule deer hunt, the mule deer I shot in Nebraska. I mean, it's a you know spot stock situation where you know it was just the, that particular deer we had put to bed two days, and by the time we could get around to them. You know, he was gone, changed beds, and we couldn't find him. So, oh, wow. uh, it was the last day of the hunt. We went through the spot and scope. We spotted him and, and was able to get around on him and, and snuck into within 20 yards and was able to get, uh, get a shot off on him. So, it was, it was a really, really cool and gratifying hunt after all the work you put in. Yeah. Uh, a lot of miles you put in, I guess. <laughs> oh, so. yeah. It's wonderful when all that hard work comes to fruition, no doubt about that. You finally get to place your tag on a nice, mature buck. No better feeling. Um, what yeah. about uh, where you're headed next? I know show season is right around the corner, and that means you're going to be back on the road again. Yeah, yeah actually, I'm. Uh, uh, well, uh, I've got a trip to Mexico this year. It's my first time ever hunting Mexico, old Mexico. I'm going with the guys from Small Town Hunting, and uh, one thing that that we do, although we do have a show respect the game, and you know, with the with the outdoor group, we work with other shows and it's not a lot of people perceive it as this show against that show. You know what, you know, I look at it as well hunters and if we can go share uh, yeah. camp together, have a good time and, and stuff and I'm all in. And so, uh, they, they called and said, Hey, we have this opportunity. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm, I'd love to tag along. So we, uh, we're going to go down to Mexico here uh, next week and come back right before Christmas and uh, do some management hunts and shoot some, some pigs and javelina and just have a good old time it should be a good camp awesome awesome well let's do this let's talk about 
new stuff from Elite Archery because, man, every year I'm amazed at what you guys put out, and this year's no exception. The Cure and results, uh, the Cure specifically, though, more on the hunting side of things. What uh, what is What separates this bow from previous Elite releases, and is this the one that you've been hunting with this season? Uh, absolutely. It has been the bow that I've been hunting with this season, and I can tell you if if your listeners are, uh, I can talk all day about this bow. So if you're listening right now, you're going to learn quite a bit because uh, you're going to want to go shoot one. Hmm. Uh, so you may as well have a seat. <laughs> right on. Uh, the, uh, the Cure, this new technology uh, developed our engineers and one of our target archers, uh, Nathan Brooks. They, they kind of had an idea of a concept of, of what would help uh, from a tuning perspective, the average, you know, for the target side. And mm-hmm. uh, back in early August, I went up to the factory and they showed it to me, and I was just simply amazed on the way the bow responded. This is the result that they were working on back then. So as we're going through, Nathan was heavily involved. Uh, our target professional archers were, and, and our engineers, well, they come up with this this uh, this technology, we call it SEC technology, and it's where you can uh, tune your bow basically to by the limb pocket. You know, it's a limb pocket, it's a two-piece limb pocket mm-hmm. uh, where the back of the pocket actually pivots uh, one way or another. So there's no more shimmy can uh, and doing that to get your bow to tune. I, I literally took four different spine arrow shafts, and in all retrospect, arrow shafts I probably would never even shoot but I got them the perfect bullet hole. Nathan was showing me, our engineer was showing me how it did, so I did it myself. Super easy uh, to do, and it is, I mean, from a hunting standpoint, it's absolutely phenomenal, especially if you like to shoot a fixed blade broadhead and, and you've had experiences with them not flying like your foot points. This will build totally cure that. You can fix that right there on the line without having to go to a bow crest. So to get back to kind of what I was saying about the result, we... Through testing that when I was up at the factory and we were doing some filming, I thought, my, just what I just said, I was like, gosh, this would benefit the bow hunter. Mm-hmm. And the engineers were like, yeah, you explained to me how. So we started talking and about it. He's like, man, I, that's, you're right. We, can't, we have to get this. We have to put this platform on a hunting bow. So they all put their heads together. We had to get patents, all this uh, technology is patented and, and, came it all came to fruition we were able to do it i had a bow a prototype bow in the field in nebraska in early season in september uh we went out shot antelope and we captured some stuff with myself and ryan another guy on the rtg team uh, one of our producers we both shot animals with the same bow you can uh, with the set technology it's set stands for simplified exact tuning huh. and uh what it what it is is you can pretty much tune the bow at the one pocket uh, without having the shin and so on and so forth. But that's only one piece. We've got several different uh, 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 pieces of technology to talk about. Yeah, yeah. And I know that it has, I mean, I haven't shot the thing yet, but I know it has bigger bearings and axles, um, mm-hmm. which uh, I'll let you explain why that's uh, why that's a part of the design. And I think, what is it? It's 31 and a half inches axle to axle? Yeah, it's like 31, it's just under 32 inches. I always say 32 inches because okay. that's pretty much what it goes down to, but uh, it comes out too from me. But the, but talking about the, the platform being stable with the bigger axle and bigger bearings, um, 
we went to the two-track cam system that Elite's known for that delivers that really smooth draw size on solid back wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, has we've, it's, it's been a huge success and it's done very, very well. We've kind of paved the path when it comes to that technology. So this year we came out with, uh, which that system is a two-track system. Uh, so this new system is called the ASIM tri-track cam system. There's three tracks and the system is super stable. The platform of the bow is just a little bit wider, so the rims are a little bit further apart. Wider, you have bigger axer, but bigger axles and bigger bearings, like we uh, stated earlier. And then uh, you also have a cable on both sides of the cam. So what that does, that eliminates lean. So mm-hmm. most likely, that set technology, you may not even have to use it if you're shooting the correct spine arrow. You'll be able to get the bow to respond and shoot a bullet hole. I mean, we're getting messages in from dealers, from consumers, from, from everybody said, man, I, I, I picked it out of the box and, and put a rest on it, center shot, and bullet hole. I've never had a bow shoot like this. And, you know, it's just, it's super, super stable. And what that means to the bow hunter, it means that you know that you can get your arrow flying true and the way the bow holds because there's not going to be a lot of shift. The cam lean, you're, you're essentially eliminating the cam lean. And if you do have to induce a little bit of lean to get the bow shooting down the middle at full draw, uh, you're able to do so without even having to go to a bow press. Hmm. So hmm. with this cam system as well, you have adjustable draw lengths. So you can go uh, from 23 to 30 inches uh, on uh, with this. So, and you don't even have to go to a press. So uh, you can you can just change the draw length right there on the fly. Uh, you also have the ability to shoot a limb stop which is what a lot of elite, uh, elite shooters are used to feeling, that really solid back wall yeah. uh, stops on limb. Or you do have the, the, uh, the ability to shoot cable stops. You can even shoot both uh, if you want. So huh. uh, the bow is super, super customizable to the shooter. So you can customize the bow to the way that feels good to you as a shooter. Okay, awesome. I was looking, and like I said, I have not had a chance to shoot it. Um, they've been flying off shelves, so... I went online and was like looking for reviews and was reading and I, I could not find a negative review. <laughs> so, yeah, they, I mean, they, and that's just, that's from you know, industry people who've made videos uh, concerning the cure. And then also just what other customers have said that have shot it so far. Yeah. You know, and, and that's kudos to the team up at elite, our engineers, like I said, even our pro archers, we got Darren Christopher, Nathan books, some that shoot at a competitive level. And we've been searching and working on some new technology for quite some time, uh, but having it all come to fruition to to really benefit the bow hunter and the shooter experience uh, is was important to us. And this does that because you do not have to go to a bow press. You do not. You can make those adjustments. You can tweak. Like I said, broadhead tuning with this with the set technology. If you're if you know if you want to shoot a fixed blade blade broadhead. And you haven't had a good experience with the way that it could be the way the bow's tuned. It could be the spine arrow. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you right now, you can make some minor adjustments right there at the line and get and dial both your field points and broadheads and right together. Mm. Wow, it's <laughs> you guys. Like I said, pushing the envelope in technology every year. This is just the latest evolution in a great line of bows, and I can't wait to get my hands on one. Uh, are they available in all the? Uh, Traditional elite color options? 
Yep, absolutely. Uh, you have the real tree edge. They also are available in the new real tree uh, escape pattern, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to be really fully launched, I believe, uh, later in the year, uh, January next month or so, uh, which is kind of a Western pattern. It looks really, really good on the bow. Super, super excited about that. And then we do have the solid color and, and real tree edge available. And uh, yeah, so some of the well, you know me, I'm a throwback, ugly. and all my elite bows are just solid black for whatever reason. That's mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. That's what I like. And yeah. and the black, I'll be honest with you, the black looks absolutely awesome on this bow because the riser cutout, uh, just the lines in the riser, the black really really shows that off really well. Uh-huh. Uh, it's and we've sold, uh, we've had a huge uptake in the black bows because of that. Wow. Well. That's what I'll be getting. Um, what is the uh, what is the MSRP on on this on the cure? Uh, the MSRP the MSRP is ten forty nine. Okay. Uh, so you know we we it's not that we you know, we didn't raise the price. Yeah, we have one. It is a very evolved piece, but we also care about the boat hunter. We don't want to price ourselves out of the market. We want to make it obtainable, yet be competitive uh, within the space. And uh, but we want to make sure you know we're helping boat hunters grow as as boat hunters and also wanting to help uh, owners, you know, expand and yeah. maybe even help new owners get, get, so we need to, as a hunting industry, we need to make sure we're all sticking together and, and we can support one another. Well, and I'll say about the uh, set technology, what? anything that makes a piece of hunting equipment more user-friendly, so where you don't have to, you know, go to, not that there's anything wrong with going to your, you know, your local bow shop and having your, your bow technician help you set up your bow. Um, a lot of folks, a lot of folks don't even have bow presses, you know, that are, that are bow hunters and, uh, they don't, they don't, they're not gearheads, Larry. They don't really, they don't mm-hmm. enjoy that aspect. They want something that out of the box, they're going to be able to take it, spend some time getting comfortable with it and fix it up themselves. Right. Uh, so that's why I'm Absolutely. excited about this set technology. I think, uh, anytime you make it more user-friendly, you're going to increase, uh, the hunter, the hunter's overall experience with that product. Yeah, and and really the dealer, obviously the dealer level is important to us as well. And it's not that they're being kind of, you still have to have your, you know, your peep tied in stuff like that. But mm-hmm. but being able to make those adjustments and and tinker and play, it also allows you as a bow hunter to learn your equipment. You know, you'll know that bow inside and out because you you've been able to to play. There's videos on how that how exactly that that set technology works on the on YouTube. Uh, you can go to Respect Game or the Elite Archery. Uh, YouTube pages, and you can see those videos, but it's, it's simple. You have a lockdown screw on the back and then an adjustment screw on the side. There's, It comes with direction right there on the side. I'll tell you, if you're experiencing a tail right condition, you'll loosen the lockdown screw and you'll move, turn that screw to the right. It'll tell you which way to turn it. If you're experiencing a tail left, then which is a left tear of paper, uh, so uh, mm-hmm. you're going to turn it this way and a little bit's a lot. So, and you'll, you can see the, you can visually see the boat respond, uh, which is very, very critical. And, and it really opened up my eyes to a lot of bow hunters that the questions I've received over the years about how a system works versus this system or whatever. There, you'll be able to answer your own question just by maneuvering, you know, and utilizing these systems. Well, another cool thing about those, all of this, all of this technology comes without sacrificing the feel of the bow. If you like the way elites feel with the smooth draw cycle, the solid back wall, mm-hmm. you're going to absolutely fall in love with this bow. It's one of the smoothest bows I believe we've ever produced from the draw cycle 
perspective. And I say that every year. I'm not going to, but I could tell you that I'm super, super proud of, of the people that I work with because they, they, uh, they go above and beyond to make sure that they're continuously trying to get better, not just trying to take a bow, resurface it, and name it something else. Well, and elites always prided themselves on shootability, right? And now it's like shootability meets tunability. So, one hundred percent, exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of the tagline for the cure, which is the honey, the new honey bow. The elite cure is the cure for the common bow, is what we've. Uh, that's what we've, and it's really gravitating and caught on with a lot of people, uh, and especially once they people dig in and see what the bow is all about and how this new technology can mm-hmm. benefit them. Well, awesome stuff, my friend. As always, it is great to uh, to have you on and talk a little hunting and and uh, compound technology. The game's always changing, and you guys are at the forefront of that. So, uh, great stuff as always, and wish you luck. Uh, I don't remember where you said you were going. Where's what's next? Mexico. Oh, that's right, Mexico. Mexico. Small town hunting boy. Yeah, yep. yeah. Well, good luck down in old Mexico. Uh, hopefully you come back with your head. I think that uh, <laughs> I, I've told my wife I've gotten invited to go down there a couple of times. She's like, nope, not doing that. Yeah. I know it's, I know it's, there's certain yeah. areas that are a lot safer than others. Well, yeah. And, and that was actually a concern of mine, uh, but I was, I, uh, you know, we had to you know, basically get our credentials and stuff, send them down to uh, border security, all that stuff. So they, you know, they know exactly when we're so they can make sure that experience is yeah. as pleasant. And you got to go through the extra steps to make sure. Uh, so, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm super excited about it. And I, I was apprehensive about it at first as well. But, uh, you know, we only live once, right? <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> and I think I'll probably die hunting something somewhere anyway. So uh, if that's yeah. the case, I'll, I'll go out doing what I love. So. Well, Larry, I appreciate it, man. All right. Well, thank you for having me on. Appreciate you, Cable. All right. There he goes, Larry McCoy of Elite Archery. Uh, fascinating technology. I mean, if you're like me, I, I don't, I'm not a gear head, to be honest with you. Uh, I like to take my stuff out of the box, and I like to be able to sort it out myself quickly and efficiently. So if this is going to help me do that, I'm all about that set technology. Sounds awesome. Um, that segment of the presentation, by the way, was proudly brought to you by Our Luck Outfitters. If you're looking for a Newfoundland moose hunt, or if you're looking for a moose hunt that won't break the bank. I just got back from hunting with Our Luck uh, in October, which was right during the moose rut. Had a bull come grunting, just, well, they don't come screaming in because they move kind of slow. But he was all hot and bothered, fired up. Coming into a cow call, shot him broadside at 65 yards. Absolutely awesome experience in some beautiful country with uh, really down-to-earth and hospitable people. Uh, Newfoundland, truly a special place. You can find them at ourluckoutfitters.com. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Larry McCoy, as well as our other guest today, Matt Boguslowski of Dallas Safari Club. Next week, an interesting discussion on culling whitetail bucks. Does it work? Lots of opinions on it, but uh, there's some research that supports whether it actually works or not. And we'll dive into that next week, among other things. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying Merry Christmas, and y'all have a great week in the outdoors. When the men kneel down to kiss the hand.